So, Father, we come to you, um, and God, we, we believe your word. Um, as a church, we want to be a people shaped by your word. Um, and your word says that you, uh, you, 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 you have local churches appoint elders to oversee uh, the flock um, as shepherds overseeing sheep, God, and we um, count that as a, as, a, as a noble thing, as a thing um, of you, God, and, and for us as a church, God, as we um, kind of just traffic through this for the next 30 days or so, and for Paul and Amy and their kids, God, I, I pray that it would be a worshipful thing. Lord, um, that, that, that by your spirit you would stir in us what you have for us. God, as a church, we want what you want, God, and we, we want to want what you want more. So, God, show us what that is. Um, we pray for more elders, God, to be raised up from within our church. God, we thank you for the various gifts that you've given the body of Christ in our church, God. Um, we pray that those would continue to be affirmed and unearthed and mobilized, God, for, for, for not just the good of our church, God, but for the good of our city, our county, and for the good of the globe. God, so we thank you. Um, lead us going forward. God, and as we now come to your text, uh, man, I, th- I think you got something good for us. I was reminded this morning that your Bible tells us that your Bible doesn't return void. God, that you are um, a good God who is sovereign and in control and has, has chosen to uh, speak to us through your word and you have preserved your word for us to this day. And Holy Spirit, you're the one who makes the word make sense to us. And I ask that, that, Holy Spirit, as you do that work, we pray in each of us this morning that that uh, uh, promise that you've made to us in your word, that your word doesn't return void, that that will be felt by us. So we bank on that, God. We don't bank on anything else. We bank on your uh, movement, your activity, your spirit doing his thing in and amongst us and inside of us. Holy Spirit, show us who Jesus is. Boy, we need him. Boy, I need him. Give us a humility beneath your word. Give us a hunger for your word. Will we be men, women, and kids who, like your Bible says, who are um, contrite and tremble at your word? Thanks for giving it to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to tell you a little bit about my boys. I got two little dudes uh, one of them, my wife texted me this morning, is s- sick, snotty, yellow, snot rockets all over the place, so they're not here. Um, but I want to tell you about my boys. I got a three-year-old, almost three, almost one, Emmett and Warren, and I'm a, a, a proud, proud, proud dad um, to these little dudes. They're uh, adventurous, courageous little dudes, uh, but more than that, they're, they're my boys. They're my sons. Um, I think we have a picture. There they are. Yeah. That's Emmett. The big one, well, it's hard to tell which one's bigger there. <laughs> Emmett's behind, Warren's <laughs> closer. <laughs> anyway, those are my boys. Um, about eight, nine days ago or so, Rob and I, our lead pastor, went to a quick trip to Las Vegas um, to meet with uh, the, the 
theological training director for our church planted network called Acts 29. And we did probably four or five hours or so of meetings that day um, talking about Equip, this tool that we as a church have created over the last handful of years. It's a, it's a discipleship, which is just a fancy word for learning to follow Jesus and following him, continuing to follow him. So a discipleship and a church planting tool. We as a church want to make disciples that make disciples, plant churches that plant churches, and this tool Equip is, is, is created to help do those things. So we're meeting with... Um, this guy, his name's Tony, uh, for four or five hours figuring out, man, how can this, this tool, Equip, be utilized by Acts 29, which is soon to be over a thousand churches globally? How can this tool that we created in our little church in, in, the, in the upper left corner of, of the states, like, how can this go out to the globe? So we were talking about that, geeking out about it, and, and a lot of cool stuff coming, specifically opportunities for our church in the fall. So just save the date for that sort of thing. Discipleship church planning courses coming, hopefully in the, in the fall. Tons of work to do before then, but that's the plan. All that to say, Rob and I had to get on an airplane to get there, had to get on an airplane to get back. When we got back, my wife, unbeknownst to me, uh, decided to load our two little dudes in the car and surprise me uh, at the airport. So I want to show a little clip of them surprising me at the airport. Look who that is, Emmy. Look who it is. That's my little guy. Everything in the world around me could have been crashing and burning at that moment, but in my world, everything was right as my little dude just jumped into my arms. (laughs) We are, I think, um, a room of people wondering what will God do if we come to him? (laughs) For the first time, for the 10,000th time, Wondering what God would do if we come to him. Think of my little boy Emmett right there running face first. <laughs> like literally, I think that was the, the, the thing he was leading with was his face. No hint or hesitation of, man, what's dad going to do when I get to him? He knows he's going to have full-on embrace. And we're going to look at a text this morning that's going to show us um, a little bit about God. And what we do when, by his grace, we come to him again for the first time or the 10,000th time. We're going to look at um, kind of one thing with, with, with two different sides this morning. Number one is that God's grace is powerful to us. Somebody say powerful. You can do better. Do you think you can do better? You might not be able to. I don't know. Sometimes I, I'll stop. God's grace is powerful to us. Say powerful. And God's grace is powerful through us. God's grace is powerful to us. It's powerful through us. If you're able and willing, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Luke chapter 15 is where we'll be. Somewhat well-known text. Um, Jesus is telling the story of what's known as the parable of the prodigal son. We'll start in verse 11, go through verse 32. Tons of stuff here. Not going to be able to dig into all of it, but want to pull out a couple key things. This is God's word from him for us. Jesus talking, telling this story, says this. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. 
Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dance. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who devoured the property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You can grab a seat. Take it one verse at a time from the top. Starting in, in, in verse 12, we see this picture. Two sons, younger son, older son, and dad. Younger son, older son, dad. And we see younger son, verse 12, it says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Scholars have, have, have researched um, a host of different cultures. And in every culture, for a son to come to his dad and be like, Dad, give me my inheritance before you die would have been incredibly offensive in every culture. But that's what we see happening here. We see the younger son say, Dad, hey, hey, I, 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 I want your stuff. I want what's coming to me. I don't really want you. You'd be better off dead. That way I can just have my stuff. Are you tracking? Give me something if you're tracking. Okay. 
imagine what the father must have felt. Son's wandering off. Look at verse 13. Not many days later, this is after the younger son got the stuff from his father, got his inheritance. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Again, the son is wandering off with dad's stuff, distancing himself from his dad. Now rewind a little bit. Let's read verse 14 through 16, and then we'll, we'll look back after that. And when he had spent everything, he's in this far off land, land, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Yeah. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the field to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So rewind a little bit. We got younger son who just recently was in the proximity of his father, in his father's home, and now he finds himself in the pigsties. Said, Dad, I I don't want you, give me your stuff, wanders off, takes a far journey, squanders all of his dad's stuff in reckless living, finds himself in the mud. With pigs. Henry Nouwen says this. He says, when the younger son was no longer considered a human being by the people around him, he felt the profundity of his isolation, the deepest loneliness one can experience. He was truly lost. And it was this complete lostness that brought him to his senses. Look at verse 17. Look what it says. Make sure I'm not making it up. Verse 17. But when he came to himself. You see that? But when he came to himself, he's lying in the mud with these pigs. Gosh, he, he was just in the comfort of his father's house. Now he's here in the, the pigsties. But when he came to himself, it says. Let me tell you about a time when I was 19 years old when God woke me up a little bit. I was at Whitworth University um, for school and wasn't living for the Lord, for sure. Um, kind of knew about him. Uh, yeah, but wasn't living for him, for sure. And I had a guy on my football team, dude named Travis, who um, I think God just, just saw fit to put Travis in my life. And uh, Travis was a dude who loved Jesus and invited me to church often, uh, most weeks, and usually make excuses, sometimes I go, sometimes I want to go, sometimes go hungover, sometimes say I'm hungover, I'm not going, whatever it might be. And uh, I remember I went one day, um, and we were singing this old school song, Come Thou Fount. Some of you might be familiar, anyone familiar with that? Come Thou Fount. And there's a line in it that says, take my heart, take and seal it, seal it for your courts above. And the Holy Spirit made it clear that that wasn't me. <laughs> Maybe I thought it was. But in that moment, looking at those lyrics, a song I'd heard before, the Holy Spirit was like, it's not you, man. <laughs> he woke me up. 
God woke me up. And in this, in this text, we see the younger son wandering far off. And in verse 17, he gets woken up. But when he came to himself. In different stages of life, sometimes in different stages of even the same day, I need a little waking up. Do you ever? <laughs> God to just meet you in this particular season of life or at 2 p.m. on a Tuesday, <laughs> whatever it might be. We just need a little bit of waking up. Sometimes I need to be waking up from my apathy. Sometimes waking up from my ignorance. Sometimes waking up from my straight-out rebellion. Sometimes we need God to wake us up. Imagine this. Look back at verse 16. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Imagine if it just stopped there. That's it. That's the story. Hopeless, humiliated, embarrassed, and just dies. Alistair Begg says this. He says, what if there had not been a father to whom he could return? Just let that land on. What if there had not been a father to whom he could return? Or what if the father to whom he could return was a father who would simply treat his boy as his sins deserved? Alistair Begg again says this. He says, what possible comfort could there be for this boy unless he has a waiting, watching, seeking, loving father? If there is any comfort in the story of sinners, if the sin, is there, apologize, is there any comfort in the story of sinners if the sinner is unable to come home? If he finds no reception? If he is unsealed, unrestored, unforgiven? Friends, there is a Father in heaven who is eager to treat you not as your sins deserve. It's the God of the Bible. <laughs> it's the best kind of father. Look at what happens in this story, this, this picture that I think Jesus has intended um, to tell us so that it might just melt us by his grace. Look what the father does in this story. Look at verse 20 and following. This is on the heels of um, verses 18 and 19 where, where the, the, the son is kind of amping himself up. He's like, man, I want to get away from these pigs. I got a father at home. Wait, I should go back to him. So he starts to prepare his speech, like word for word. Okay, this is what I'm going to do when I get back to my father. Say the right stuff. Prepare this speech so that maybe my father would welcome me back. His father shows us what the best father is like. Look at just the verbs of the father we see in verse 20. It says that, that the father saw him and felt compassion. Somebody say compassion. 
The father sees his wandering son from a, a long way off, sees him, and felt compassion. Alistair Begg said this, how did he see him? Did he just happen to glance that way or be in that spot at that time? He saw him because he was looking for him. <laughs> compassion welled up inside. A wonderful readiness to forgive. Do you know that, God? A wonderful readiness to forgive. Verse 20 says, goes on and says that his father ran to him. In the context, this is smack dab in the midst of an honor-shame culture. And this is a, a likely a wealthy landowner. What doesn't go together is wealthy landowner in an honor-shame culture running. That would have been disgraceful. And the father sees his son who's wandered off, squandered everything in reckless living, sees him, feels compassion, and runs to him. Verse 20 goes on and it says, embraced him. Embrace the son. And Matt, he was just with the pigs, right? I haven't spent much time with pigs. I don't know about you, but um, maybe metaphorically. <laughs> um, he probably didn't look good. Probably didn't smell good. Dirty. Filthy. The father runs to him and embraces him. Remember, this is the son that a couple of verses earlier was preparing his speech for his father. And the father sees him and runs to him and embraces him. Let me tell you about a story. When I was in ninth grade English class at Bellingham High School, uh, first, I think, as far as I can remember, first uh, speech, like in a classroom that I had ever given. And I was nervous as all heck. And uh, so I did my, my speech on Michael Jordan. I don't know how they let you do that in English, but I did. Um, so it was like five minutes or so, and I was um, preparing for weeks and dumped hours into this speech. And since it was my first one and I was nervous, I memorized that sucker word for word, word for word. Um, and I was killing it three and a half minutes in or something, whatever, 15 years old, ninth grade. And, uh, and then some kid raised their hand in the back row and asked me a question. And whatever, answered the question, don't know what it was. Um, and then didn't remember where I was at. <laughs> Memorized it word for word. Couldn't remember the last word. Don't know the next word. <laughs> so I just started over. <laughs> when we come to the Father, we don't need our words in order. Gosh, I want to know that father more. He embraces him. That literally means in the Greek, in the original language, he fell upon his neck. Full body weight, no, no awkward this. Mm -mm. Full body weight. It says he kissed him. Gosh. Look at the grace 
of this father. The father says, hey, hey, my, my, my son is coming. I'm, he's running to him, and he embraces him, kisses him, and he says, bring the robe. Bring the ring. Bring the shoes. Go, go out to, uh, I don't know what they call it. Go out to the pasture, the pen. Get the plumpest pig you can find. Kill it. Let's have bacon. Party. You see it in the text? Make sure I'm not going astray. It says, let's eat and celebrate. Let's eat and celebrate. Man, we're a, a room, myself included, I think sometimes just questioning, man, does the Father love us? Does he really love us? Does he really love? Does he love? What if we believed what I believe Jesus is intending to do? in this text, in painting this incredible picture of God fully embracing us in the midst of our mess. No conditions, no fine print, no nothing. What if we leaned into that? No, no. oh man, clean yourself up a little bit first and then maybe you can come to me and maybe we'll sit down for a formal dinner and you can tell me about it. None of that. We see this picture of the gospel in this story. When we see the father running after his younger son, that gets to maybe click us into or remind us of what's called the incarnation, big fancy word for Jesus, the God-man, adding humanity to his divinity to come on a rescue mission to save people like us. Jesus in the incarnation. When we see the father wrap his arms around the son, maybe we could click into when Jesus' arms were pinned to an old rugged wooden tree. The crimson declaration, I love. When the father clothes his son, click us into this reality that if you are a follower of Jesus, the moment you believed, you were wrapped in his righteousness, clothed in it, presented dazzling in the righteousness of Jesus himself before a heavenly father. Paints a picture of the gospel. Alistair Begg says this. He says, oh, I wonder, do you know this God? This God who swallows you up in grace. There's nothing that makes our sinfulness so obvious. There's nothing that makes the wonder of God's manifest goodness so unbelievable to us than when we bring our utter unworthiness into the context of this expression of the Father's love. Summarize this whole thing. What we're saying is that God's grace is powerful to us. But there's something else in this text, kind of the, the, the other side of the same coin. We see that God's grace is powerful to us, and we see that God's grace is powerful through us. Look at verse 1 with me. This is rewinding, helping us see the context. Luke 15, verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners 
we're all drawing near to him. That's Jesus. Tax collectors and sinners. These known sinners were drawing near to Jesus. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Celebration should happen. But look at what happens in verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes, these religious elite... And the Pharisees and the scribes, as sinners are flocking to Jesus, the Pharisees and the scribes, verse 2 says, grumbled. Should be celebration, but there's grumbling. And they say, this man, talking about Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus, in this parable, is trying to tell the Pharisees, the scribes, and us to be melted by God's grace. Verses 11 through 24, we've just seen this beautiful picture of the father welcoming in the wandering son. And then we see a bit of a disconnect. A disconnect that if, if, if I'm real with myself, it sometimes creeps up in my own life, for sure. My wife and I, two weeks ago or something, we were watching a show, and then a new character came in. Does anyone else hate that? <laughs> it's like, frick, no! Almost got up and turned it off. Like, I'm not ready for this. I'm already, I got these whatever, seven characters, I'm emotionally there, I'm invested, I got no more room for anyone else, and then a new character comes in. We see a new character. In verse 25, the older brother. Verses 11 through 24, we see the younger brother. We could, we could, we could characterize him in one word, unrighteous. He said, Dad, I don't want you. I want your stuff. Give me your stuff. You're, you, you'd be better off dead, Dad, um, and then I'll go waste it, squander it in reckless living in a, in a far-off country, unrighteous. And then we see the older brother Verses 25 and following could characterize him as self-righteous, unrighteous, self-righteous. Let's see where we see that. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. Remember, dad's throwing a party because younger, younger bro's back. Dad's throwing a killer party. He heard music and dancing, and then he called, the older brother called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Look at verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. Do you see it? He was angry and refused to go in. One of the maybe most unheard of messages of Luke 15 and the prodigal son is this invitation to become more like the father. 
to become more like the Father. I think no doubt it is a good thing and something that, that we should do to be like, man, uh, look, at, look at this parable that Jesus tells us to, to figure out, man, in what ways in my life am I like uh, the younger son, unrighteous, and in, in what ways in my life maybe do I have tendencies to be more older son, the self-righteous, and I think those are good and helpful, no doubt, and I think one of the seldom seen invitations in this text is this invitation to become like the Father. a conduit of God's grace. Have you ever been around someone who treated you better than you deserved? In that moment, you got a little Costco sampler of God's grace. A conduit of God's grace Henry Nouwen says this, though I am both the younger son and the elder son, I am not to remain them. Do you hear the invitation? I am not to remain them, but to become the father. No father or mother ever became father or mother without having been son or daughter. But every son and daughter has to consciously choose to step beyond their childhood and become father and mother for others. Henry Nouwen, again, says this, do I want to be like the Father? Do I want to be not just the one who is being forgiven, but also the one who forgives? Not just the one who is being welcomed home, but also the one who welcomes home. Not just the one who receives compassion, but the one who offers it as well. Something worth giving myself to, worth giving ourselves to. Henry Nouwen, again, another quote says this. He says, perhaps the most radical statement Jesus ever made is, be compassionate as your Father is compassionate. God's compassion is described by Jesus not simply to show me how willing God is to feel for me, or to forgive me my sins and offer me new life and happiness, but to invite me to become like God and to show the same compassion to others as he is showing to me. Our vision as a church is, see if you can help me with this, anyone who can. Our vision is everyone, everywhere, experiencing the gospel. Everyone everywhere experiencing the gospel. The father in this picture is helping the younger son experience the gospel. The invitation we see in this text is not just to experience the grace of God, but to help others experience the grace of God too. But, and that sounds cute and stuff, and we could put it in a tweet or macrame or put it on a coffee cup or whatever, but you and I probably both know that we can think of stuff in our life, messy stuff, that, man, it's hard to be a conduit of God's grace. I want to give us um, three challenges to be like the Father and then one old big whopping helpful encouragement. <laughs> Challenge number one, to become like the Father, to be, to be a conduit of God's grace. Challenge number one could be, could be this, that you are dialed. 
It's the problem of self-righteousness. The unwritten assumption in this text is that as younger bro wanders off in reckless living, the older bro is still with the father, seemingly probably doing what he's supposed to do, dialed. Kind of has his stuff together. That can be a challenge. Sometimes if you sense that I, you got your stuff together or I got my stuff together, it can be a challenge to be a conduit of God's grace. Another challenge to become like the Father is this, is that we can sometimes think that it honors God by being hard on sinners. Talk about it as the, the problem of sin pouncing. Look at the text. See if I'm where I'm getting this. This party's going on. Dad's throwing this good party for younger bro. He's back. He was lost. Now he's found. And, and verse 28 happens. Big brother shows up. He's like, What is going on here? There's music. There's dancing. There's a celebration. It smells like bacon. Something good's happened. What are we doing here? In verse 28, but he was angry. And refused to go in. I imagine Big Bro being like, um, Dad, do you know how your younger son disrespected you? Remember in verses 11 and 12, younger son said, Dad, I'd rather have you dead. Give me your stuff. I'm out of here. The older brother being like, man, I, I, give your younger son what he deserves. Give him what's coming to him. Sometimes for us, that can be this conscious or sometimes subconscious thought that God is smiling upon us when we pounce on each other in our sin. Number three challenge to become more like the Father is this idea that you think you are dialed. Or the problem of self-deception. Look at the irony in verse 29. But he answered his father, older brother talking to his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Do you see the irony there? Little bro's getting a party thrown for him and big bro's outside of the party, angry, refusing to go in, talking to his dad, being like, dad, what in the world is going on? I've never disobeyed you. I bet the father would have liked it if the brother came in. We see that in the text. He entreated him. And the Lord's like, I've never disobeyed you. Do you see the iron there? The problem of self-deception. Thinking that we are dialed. This inflated view of self. Man, the invitation to become like the Father. Conduit of God's grace is incredible. The challenge is, three of which I just named, those are real. I know I feel them. You might feel them too. But man, the, the, the help 
that we have is even better. I'll wrap up with this. God's grace is powerful through us when his grace is powerful to us. God's grace is powerful through us when his grace is powerful to us. I was having lunch with a friend maybe uh, somewhat recently, um, and we were sitting down talking about relationships, specifically forgiveness in the context of relationships. And, And just talking through some history stuff there and leaning in and sharing a variety of different things and He's just like how he was talking about the, how hard it is to forgive in the context of relationships. And I'm like, bro, I'm with you there, man. I feel you. And uh, he's like, how are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to forgive? And I don't know exactly what I said, but I said, I said dude, I'm a work in progress like you, man. But, but I know that the only way we forgive is if we're able to dip into a storehouse of forgiveness. God's grace is powerful through us only when his grace is powerful to us and we just build off that foundation. The beauty of this is, man, and uh, one of the ways that I want to, one of the reasons, I guess, motivations that I want to keep growing in this and, and just staring at Jesus and staring at God's grace to me in Jesus is because the more I do that, the more God's grace sinks into me, then the more it goes out to me, and it's for the good of those around me, for the good of, think about this, your marriages, your friendships, your gospel communities, your discipleship groups, your parenting. I say this, you're, 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 you're a kid to your parent that way too. Man, the more the gospel goes into us, the good news of God's grace toward us in Jesus, the more then we are freed to have the powerful gospel of grace go out from us. So stare at Jesus. Some of us might be feeling a little bit of um, guilt or Shame or like, man, I just don't give people grace like I want to. I'm with you. The key is not to beat ourselves up. God's transforming work doesn't happen in our lives by beating ourselves up. The key is go stare at Jesus. And no doubt, man, there can be some helpful tips or tricks and different stuff like that. But the key, go stare at Jesus. The more his grace is powerful to us, the more it will be powerful through us. Came across this quote earlier this week, and I'll wrap up with this. Um, It's by Ray Ortland, and I think it's largely true for us. So I'll read it to us as an affirmation for us as a church. He says this. He says, if you love people tenderly and feel for them deeply in their sins and sufferings, you're not crazy. You're not inferior. You're not unserious. You're like Jesus. Thank you. Please keep going. Thursday afternoon, 
one or two o'clock, I was doing sermon preparation in a coffee shop and thinking about this story and thinking about my son Emmett, the three-year-old who ran up to me face first in the airport. And I was thinking about fast-forwarding 30 years or so from now. Let's say he's 30. I'm 60-something. And for whatever reason, hopefully this isn't, isn't the case, but he's, he's my adult son and he's wandered off 30 years from now. Wandered from me. Wandered from the Lord. And I was just thinking about what this might feel like to then, if, if, if I'm sitting here in this coffee shop and I see my son who has disrespected me, wandered from me, wandered from the Lord, coming toward me into this coffee shop. And I was thinking about, man, what kind of dad would I want to be? Man, I hope I wouldn't be the kind of dad that sees him coming and kind of scouts at him and glares at him. Starts feeling resentment inside. He walks in the door and look at him and says, sit down. Let's talk about it. I hope I'd be the type of dad who, when I saw my boy coming toward me, got up from my seat, flew out the door, ran to him and embraced him and just held him. And brought him inside to the coffee shop, said, man, go, get, go order whatever you want. Order too much. <laughs> order way too much. Get whatever you want. Come sit down and look him in the eye and just say, I'm proud of you. I'm for you. If an earthly dad can want that, how much more will our good, good heavenly father embrace us when we come to him in the midst of our messiness, whether our messiness is the unrighteousness kind of like the younger son, or the self-righteousness, kind of like the older son, or if you're like me, maybe a medley of the two. Just come to him. He will have you and embrace you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, we come to you through Jesus only because of Jesus um, by his blood. I'm reminded of, of your word in, in Romans chapter 8 that, that tells us that we get to um, call you Abba, um, which means daddy. Um, some of us might just need to hear that this morning, <laughs> that we don't get to just call you dad through faith in Jesus, but daddy. So as your word tells us, you are our heavenly daddy, and so we ask you uh, to stir in us um, this grace, this grace that is secure toward us in Jesus Christ, this grace that is, is, is 
something we can go all in on because of the bloody cross of Christ and the empty tomb of Christ. We thank you that your, your grace, God, is dynamic, that it gets to be powerful to us and through us. God, thank you that the gospel, your, your, your grace, transforms us. We pray for more and more of that. Holy Spirit, I know um, that literally nothing will happen from this text, from our time together this morning, if you don't move. So we ask that you will move. That you will give us what each one of us needs, that you, Holy Spirit, will minister to us as this text lands on us. That as, as, as the enemy wants to, wants to remove conviction from us or place shame or undue guilt on us, Lord, that you would give us what we need. Lord, that you would give us a big, right, appropriate view of you and your grace to us in Jesus. Melt us by your grace, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.